0: Welcome to a Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption's Hill, go to Redemption'sHill.com. Uh, we're going to start by reading the text for today in Romans. This will be Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. Paul the Apostle Paul writes this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verses 16 and 17 say this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greeks. Verse 17, for uh, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed by faith, for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. So, I was an only child for nine years, glorious years. And then, came Annie, my sister. And then, like an interesting joke, 11 months later came Chelsea, my other sister. Our mom calls this twins the hard way. Some people call it Irish twins. Uh, 11 months apart, uh, went from only child to a uh, family of three siblings. So this age gap, it, it caused some pretty interesting things in our home and some funny things. And one of them that came to mind this week as I was kind of thinking of this sermon, one of the interesting and funny things involved a Super Nintendo. Uh, one of my uh, pastimes or things that I enjoyed was sit in the room, play some Super Nintendo, and my little sisters would come in and they'd want to play it. They'd be bugging me, "Bubby, Bubby, we want to play, we want to play, right? Uh, and, and so they, they would beg to have a controller, beg to be able to play and join the fun. So I decided to give them a beanbag chair in the floor of my, my room, and then I gave them a special controller right? And that special controller was special because that special controller was never plugged in, right? And this will date me, right? We have wireless now, but I'm old. you had to plug the thing in. And so we just kind of loop that underneath the entertainment center and give them a controller and just let them go to town. And this system worked wonderfully for me for quite some time, right? I'd get to play my games just like I wanted to, uh, and they would think that they're playing games, and they would laugh and kind of enjoy themselves. And, and I'd kind of play along, yelling randomly, like, good job, you're doing it, look at you, woo! And they'd be all excited, like pressing the buttons as fast as they could, intensely believing that they had mastered the game that they were playing. And I just remember how funny it was to me of them being like, look, Bobby, look at what I'm doing. Like, yeah, you're awesome. I and mean, it was, just worked great, until Annie figured it out. She realized that uh, there was something going on that as soon as she hits the button nothing was happening she realized that there was no power uh no no connection no ability to actually make anything happen through the actions that she was doing and and what happened here is when she figured out that there was no power behind all of the things that she was doing she didn't want to play anymore right she, she didn't want that controller anymore the whole thing just kind of lost its appeal and here's kind of my, my my route in nobody wants to do anything if they feel like there's no power or result behind what they're doing right? You just give up. You're like, this is dumb. I quit. And one of the things I want to just kind of wrap our mind around a little bit is I wonder how much of our evangelism and our mission and even our gospeling of each other back and forth has felt a little bit like this at points. Like you're hitting buttons, you're doing things, you're making moves, but no matter how much you've tried or no matter what you do or no matter how you angle in, just nothing seems to actually be happening. You maybe aren't seeing conversions or lives changed or or maybe you're at a loss because the depth of your gospel community—it's just, just not doing anything at the moment. You don't feel like, and maybe because of that, you're kind of subconsciously giving up, going like, "Well, what's the point? Like, I'm hitting all these buttons, I'm doing all these things, and nothing is happening." If even part of that resonates with you, that you just feel like, "Man, where's the, where's the, where's the results? Where, where, where's the, where's the power?" Then I believe that this text can help because Paul declares with unwavering conviction. This one thing, I'm going to beat it like a drum. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And he wants us to hear that. We need to hear that. There's one, really one line, one reality that I hope that our hearts latch onto in our time together. And here's the way we want to look at it. The gospel is not a dead, cold set of beliefs. But I don't don't want to be mean, but we do need to point some of these things out. We are not Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses with scripts that we go to people's houses and beg them to believe. It's not what we do. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel isn't a way of life that you beg the world to be okay with and not hate you for. The gospel is not a, a certain way to navigate political and social decisions. And in, in hear this, the gospel is not your story, and it's not the first four books of the Bible alone. The gospel, again with me, is the power of God for salvation. And I I wish there was this button, me and Garrett have talked about it. I wish there was this thing that we just, like, you could only use it like once a year and you hit it and just like conviction and all, I I wish I could hit that thing right now. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. As you can see, we're we're not holding our, our cards close to our chest. We're not slow playing anything. This is the drum to beat today. This is the point. The one thing that I hope gets awakened in us is the gospel is powerful. Powerful in our world, powerful in our church, powerful in our lives, powerful in our neighborhood, and it's powerful even when COVID is blowing up Columbia, Missouri. The gospel is powerful. We want to double down into that belief together. If we're asking the question on the streets, what does the world need right now? We're going to get a whole lot of answers, right? Some would say, well, we need COVID to be gone. Two years of this stuff, like I'm padded up to here, we just... That's what the world needs most. We need COVID to be gone. Some would say, well, the world needs most everyone to, to get vaccinated and get boosted and, and wear masks. And you ask other people, like, we need people to shut up about getting vaccinated, getting boosted, and, and wearing masks. And, and some would say that what we need most is to, to deal with global warming and climate issues. Some if asked, what does the world need most? They would say, well, we need tolerance. We need respect. We need to accept the choices of other people without ever questioning any of it. Some would say that the popular line in some sections of culture is what we need most is to end gender biases, patriarchies, and binary systems. Some would say we need to end racism, systematic oppression and abuse. Some would say we need to end polarization and wage gaps and and poverty. And maybe if you were asked, you just kind of hit autopilot and do the Miss America thing, we need hashtag world peace. That's what we need. There's a lot of answers to the question of what do we need most. But if we are in Christ, if we are saved from our sins, if we are redeemed, if we're adopted into the family of God, the answer to that question of what does the world need most should unequivocally be, the world needs one thing, the unleashed power of the gospel to come do work. That's what they need. And not just the world. Redemption's hill needs that. And your heart needs that. And, and my heart needs that. The way we'll look at this text is A little bit pragmatically, in in some sections, we're going to look at some of the best practices to keep in mind in order to see the gospel's power work more and more. We're going to look at some things to avoid, and then we're going to clarify what is the gospel, why does the world need it more than anything else, and why does Paul say it's powerful. And that's all we're doing with our time together today. When Paul opened up the book of Romans, he had introduced himself first as a slave. That was. Uh, the, the text from uh, last week, the core identity that Paul needed the people to understand first is Christians, this is the language we're going to use quite often in this series, Christians are not their own. They're not their own. They're owned by another. They are bought by, led by, grounded by, ruled by, governed by, submitted to Christ. Accepting and living in this identity is a beautiful gift and not a curse. It's, it's a blessing to us because that's where our hope and our joy and our peace comes from. Now, Paul uh, says to believers in Rome, again, remember that he has not met up to this point, that he thanks God for them because their faith is being proclaimed all over there's tremendous gratitude from Paul towards God because God has done a work in the people, even though Paul wasn't there, and the work that God is doing, news of it is, is spreading. He goes, so even though I can't be there, and even though I can't get my hands in it the way that I want, God is doing something, and the word of the work that he's doing is spreading all over. So in this wild Roman city overtaken by sin in a culture obsessed with with power uh, and the ability to do what you want, in a culture that fully gave themselves to all of their physical desires, in a culture that believed that they were too enlightened to believe in anything like Jesus of Nazareth, in a culture that literally believed compassion for the least of these was weakness and stupidity, God in that place is bringing dead people to life freeing them from their sin, saving them, transforming them, and deploying them on a mission. In the most unlikely place, God is doing something with this powerful gospel and salvation. So as we talk about maybe some best practices to see the gospel's power, the one that just cannot be overlooked, and we may think, well, that's just trivial and light, but we really need to feel it deeply. Gratitude and thanksgiving are really, really, really good soil to see the gospel work in. Right, The, the, the one-pointer slide, if you want it, gratitude is fuel for gospel power. Gratitude is fuel for gospel power. Paul wrote in this section of Scripture that he longed to go to Rome, and that wasn't just like a cute thing of like, oh, I kind of want to see you. He was desperate to go see the Roman people. In his gut, there was this fire, I need to get there, I need to get there, I need to get there and see them and preach to them and and be with them. But here's the thing, each time that he tried to get there, God, through the Holy Spirit, would not allow him. Catch this. It wasn't like the world was stopping him or some bad guy was stopping him. Each time he tried to go, God said, no, you can't yet. Think about something that you want, you really, really, really want. And now imagine just you get right there, and God says, not yet. Not yet. You're so close, and he says, you cannot have it. I need you to do this first for me instead. See, the, the proclivity or the, the tendency that, that we have to fight is in that moment, if God withholds something that we want at the point at that point in time, the, the tendency is to get frustrated and bitter instead of embrace gratitude and thanksgiving. All he wanted to do is go, and he couldn't, and yet he's still grateful. In that moment, see, we may tend to, to show God all the things that we've done. Well, God, I mean, I, I've been faithful, I've been showing to church, I've been doing all this, all this time. <coughs> Look at all the work that I've been doing. You're kind of letting me down. You're disappointing me here, God. Like, I, I've, been, like I've, been, I've been just super faithful, and you won't let me have it. All because we can't get what we want exactly when we want it. See, we, we have this habit, I think, of assuming that if we want something pertaining to our faith, right, because we, we can try and divide even though there is no divide, secular and sacred things. We're like, well, I want this in, in light of my faith. There's this good thing that I want, and it's good, and it's not sinful, and it would honor God, and all of this. We think, well, because I want something in my faith. We believe since that thing pertains to faith, then we should just automatically get it as soon as we want it. Well, God, shouldn't you just be grateful I want something pertaining to faith at all? Of course you're going to give it to me expecting not to wait or be trained or have discussion or submit or be patient. And yet Paul had to do all of these things. If he would have grown bitter and frustrated, it would have really tainted his heart. Here's, here's the thing that we would need to understand. We must learn to thank God for what he's doing in the gospel, even if our hands aren't in it. And even if it's not happening in our church or our people or the circle that we want it to happen in. It is a good thing if God is working even if he doesn't do it the way you wanted him to. And even if our, our hearts was like, Man, I, but I'd like to be in the middle of it. At least he's working. I'm convinced that a catalyst to seeing the gospel's power unleashed around us is a heart that prays prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving. You may try this this week. Put alarm in your phone a couple times. When it goes off, Don't ask for anything. Just say thank you. You can't think of anything. Thank you, I have breath. Thank you, I have a job. Thank you that you're working. Tangibly thank him for things that he's doing. And if you even go, I can't see anything to be thankful for, then sit quietly and ask him to see things that he's doing. Because God's hands are not tied and he is moving. At times when our heart loses gratitude, we stop seeing that he's moving and we may actually stop wanting him to move more. Set an alarm, just do it. A couple minutes. See what happens in your heart over the week. Verses 11 and 12. It says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Point two. Spiritual gifts are fuel for gospel power. Paul wrote in Ephesians about the spiritual gifts that Christ had won for the church. How they're given to build up the body and they're given so that the church can can do the work of Christ in the world around them. Then you look at 2 Timothy and Paul writes this, Timothy, fan into flame the gift that you received. Stoke it, use it, don't abandon it. Put it into practice. That gift that you receive when people put their hands on you and prayed for you, use that thing. Paul was so convinced of the power of spiritual gifts in the church that, that listen to this, he partly wanted to go to Rome to pray for the, the, the Christians there so that God would impart more gifts to them. It's part of the reason he wanted to go. I got to get there. We can't move past that. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, more than one time, believer. Church, not theologian, not lead pastor, not elder, not MC leader, just church. Earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. We know what earnestly means. It sets into motion if we're wanting to see the gospel's power move and we hear Paul say, earnestly desire the gifts so that they move and build and do things. I wonder if maybe instead we've ignored them or assumed that we have them or believe that they're tertiary, or that they're dead. Here's one of the things that I thought of as I kind of prepped for this sermon. Some of you are faithful in evangelizing. and I don't even think you have the gift of evangelism. You'll just do it. And so people are like, well, that guy has the gift. No, I just think that person's actually faithful. There are gifts available. that I wonder how much we've just left on the table because we don't pray that God give them to our body more to see his power move. A, non-existent, a non-exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts, just for reference. And um, on the city, under the groups, we have some of these questions there. So if you're missing some of the, the questions or don't even know what I'm talking about, come talk to me later. I'll, I'll show you where those, those are. But uh, a non-exhaustive list of the gifts are, are just as follows. The gift of administration. Dear Lord, give us that one more, right? The gift of discernment. Man, I pray that we get this one in spades. Because with all the noise around us, we have to learn to discern more than we've ever had to before. If you remember our vision series, we preached about this. To be a people with a faithful biblical worldview, we need to understand and discern what is godly and what is not. That's actually a gift. The gift of evangelism. We've had evangelism courses and trainings, but have we actually just prayed, God, give us the gift? The gift of exhortation, of faith. There's literally a gift where just people, they're better at believing for things. The gift of giving, healing, helps, hospitality. Hospitality isn't just you know how to put out a good cheese plate. It's you know how to make people feel welcomed in your home that shouldn't. The gift of knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues even if that one scares you teaching and wisdom. It may be time to start asking for those more, like actually asking. So here's kind of thing. If if there's one of those that you want or you feel like God's kind of pressing on your heart, like, man, putting a desire in you for one of those gifts, then this week at your MC or, or through the time that goes by, tell your missional community and have them pray for you. Lord, may I receive that for your glory and to see your power and to see salvation come. You we think, well, that's far-fetched, but what if? What if we did what the Bible said here, and we asked for the gifts to move and come and be a part of what we're doing more, and then we actually saw them appear and do work? The spiritual gifts are not obsolete. They're fuel for gospel power. The third encouragement is fuel for gospel power. One of the other reasons that Paul wanted to go to Rome was to mutually encourage them. This back and forth thing. This point is not as much a best practice as a law of Christianity. There's a supernatural power of God that functions in his people together when they are together face-to-face, that they are able to stir each other and encourage each other. What does it look like when you hear of another's believer's faith in the face of, of trial, when you see them stand in faith in a situation that's just horribly difficult, it has the ability to encourage and stir you to push forward. When you hear the gospel transform a person and taking them out of darkness into light to believe and trust and find their identity in Jesus more than they've ever done before, it has this ability to encourage you. Look at what God has done in my brother or sister. When you hear the prayers of a saint next to you and you're going there, asking in power and faith, then it can do something. When the truth of the word gets explained uh, in a way from another brother or sister around you in a way that just kind of hits your heart and works in you, it has the ability to, to encourage you. It does something. It spurs you forward. It encourages you in your faith to keep going. Friends, the, Paul, the apostle was saying, I, Paul... I need you to encourage me. The apostle Paul, I need to hear your stories. I need to see your faith. I need to see you push forward in the middle of just really hard things so I can receive encouragement from your faith. So Paul's going, I'm praying like crazy to get to you, And that God will stir my faith when I get to see you and hear what you have done. Real talk, here's what happens we get discouraged, we get tired, we get worn down, anxious, overwhelmed, and beat up. And in those moments, we need to see the faith of other believers around us so we don't give up. I need you, you need me. No one opts out of that cycle. This is mutual encouragement. And this encouragement gives us the strength to walk in the gospel more and not to fold to our desires. Not to lay down in defeat or, or, or weariness. Not to lock down in fear because the ways of the world just seem to be circling around and we don't know how to navigate them very well. I'll just give a caveat. I told you last week that the book of Romans will confront us at times. There's going to be some hard things in here. We'll try our hardest not to be offensive on purpose, but there are going to be things that are going to press, and we just need to take them and receive them. One of the greatest problems in the West has been magnified by COVID. The people of God are not around each other face to face nearly enough to feel this encouragement anymore enough to mutually encourage each other, be built up and sent out. Because of this, the church is walking around defeated, scared, helpless, almost terrified of its own shadow because we don't want to get in trouble. So because of that, they do not walk in the power of the gospel. They do not share the gospel and they don't even gospel each other as much. Why? Because they are not encouraged and they're beat down and they're hurting. We cannot lose sight that the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy was never taken away. I, I, I get it, right? A bunch of people live streaming different things like that, COVID. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the prioritization of the body to keep the Sabbath holy. You have to understand. You can choose to say, I don't care, I'm not gonna do it. God commanded the body to gather together weekly around the word to worship him and be renewed by him, to stop what we were doing, to stop our work and our play and our hobbies and our routines, to receive the blessing of encouragement from the body and to see that God is sovereign and he works all the time, we can set our work down to be built up. This fuels and unleashes gospel power in the people of God. For a long time, we have bought into this I come to church every other, every third, every fourth, every sixth week, and I'm a believer, and you don't know why you're tired and beat up and anxious. It's because you are not encouraged. And, and here's the other part. It's because you're sinning, and it's time to come home. Now, why might gratitude, spiritual gifts, and encouragement be needed? Why might those things be crucial to seeing the power of God unleashed in the body of God? The simplest answer is because the world is scary. We want to be liked, we want to be accepted, we want to be thought well of in the world that we live. We do not want people to think that we're crazy, ignorant, evil, or those guys. So this puts us in a really weird spot. Why? Because the gospel is offensive. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says it this way. The gospel, a.k.a. the power of God for salvation, is a stumbling block to some and foolish to others. What is a stumbling block? It's something somebody literally, I, I, I can't get over that. I can't get past that. It's, it's too much. It's too big. Like, no, I, I can't go there with you. The gospel does that to some. Some others will hear the gospel and go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. How could you be so foolish to believe in that? Follow me because we can't lose each other in this part, the same thing that is the power of God to bring about salvation and transform our hearts is the exact same thing that's a stumbling block and offensive. Those aren't different messages. The same message will save and infuriate. Let's flesh that out a little bit. As believers, these are the gospel truths that I would just say like orthodox Christians believe in. There is one triune God who created the entire world. One and one only. Humans have wicked hearts and are radically sinful because of the fall. We can't get out from underneath of that on our own. Truths of the gospel, the single most important weekend in the history of the entire world is the weekend of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important. We believe that Jesus atoned for our sins on the cross. He didn't just give us a good example to follow. We believe that God raised Jesus bodily, not just spiritually, and Jesus is the Lord over all things. We believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. There are not many, but thank God that there is a way. We believe that being born again is a real experience brought about by the Holy Spirit, not your efforts, not your lineage, not your knowledge, and not your work. And we believe at Christ's return, everyone will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. That means every Jew, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, Scientologist, and everything in between, every knee will bow in judgment or worship. We believe that there will be a final judgment and those who have not accepted Christ will face the due wrath of a holy and just God. While those who trust and follow Jesus will be living in a restored creation, every tear will be wiped away and a good and faithful king will reign. Jesus will be over all. Do you feel even the tension of saying those out loud in a safe space? Most of the world would declare that believing those things or saying those to other people is offensive and hateful, wrong, or insane. You know, there, there's widely, many different people have done quite a bit of research in the last couple of years. In professing Christians, even, an overwhelming majority, I won't give you a number because I don't know the number, but an overwhelming majority of professing Christians believe that it would be wrong to proselytize, which is to share the gospel with a Muslim or a Hindu or someone who does not believe in Christianity. It would be wrong because it is a violation of their faith. How else will they come to know Jesus? In the light of a culture that believes this, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. Even if some people are going to hate me. Because in hearing this message, some will experience the power of God. Some will be saved. Some will be redeemed. Some will be changed. Yes, it's not super popular. But I'm not ashamed. Where does shame come from? often the sense of let down. He's going, the gospel and Jesus has never let me down. I, I am not ashamed of it. As though it will anger some people. He's never lied. And his promises are always true. I am not ashamed. Michael Byrd says this, the gospel is a speech act in that it not only announces the way of salvation, but it actualizes the salvation in those who hear it with faith. Let that, let that sink in. It's not just Words, it's a proclamation that when people hear it, it it catalyzes and actualizes faith in people. The gospel manifests as God's death-defeating, curse-reversing, evil-vanquishing, devil-crushing, sin-cleansing, life-giving, love-forming, people-uniting, super-uber-mega-grace-power that results in salvation. Only the gospel does this. The word that Paul uses when he says that the gospel is the power of God, the word for power here is the word that we get our English word dynamite from, this explosion. He's telling the Romans and us the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done, the reality that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that God sent that Savior for us through believing in him. We receive pardon and forgiveness. We get justified before a holy God, no longer face separation from him. We no longer have to endure the penalty of the wrath that our sin should get for us and the salvation will never be taken away no matter what comes. This message, with all of its offensive parts, when declared, lived out, walked out, spoken to others, it's like dynamite exploding. It has immense power because through those words, God can unleash the power of his salvation. God does explosive things through regular people speaking the gospel. And if I I could encourage you in any way in the middle of this crazy time, regular people and regular rhythms who don't have it all figured out, declaring what is true about Jesus is explosively powerful. You declaring what is true is explosively powerful. What if you believe that? Now notice the detail again. Who is the gospel for? Is it just for unbelievers? No. Paul says... To the Christians in Rome, I long to come to preach to you. These are already believers. He's saying to the people who've already received the gospel that I can't wait to come share with you who already know Christ the gospel of Christ. Paul is declaring not that he would come preach a higher gospel. Remember in Galatians, there there is no other gospel. He's not going to give them a better version that's all of a sudden going to like send them out in a better way. He's showing a continual need to hear the gospel for the saved and unsaved. The continual need for the explosive power of the gospel to come in our hearts. We still need the gospel's power to explode the reality and beauty of Jesus into our lives and our hearts, we needed to wash over us over and over and over again how God has loved us through sending Jesus to accomplish what we could never do. And only through following Jesus can we find salvation. Now I mentioned before that we clarify the gospel a little bit in our time together and this is what I mean by that. I think it is possible And more than just possible, I think it's quite probable that we, without realizing it, have probably shared wrongly for quite some time. Meaning, I think it is possible to, with good intentions and good motives, believe that you're sharing the gospel but never actually have shared it. This is what I was leaning into a little bit before. When we share our story with an unbeliever that is not sharing the gospel with them, your story, is wonderful. It has no gospel power of salvation. Your story has shadows of what the gospel has done, but your story will never save anyone. When we share about a struggle that we used to have that Jesus has freed us from, that is not sharing the gospel. When we share with unbelievers about the community that we love, or how people have been there for us and cared for us and walked with us in the good and the bad and the ugly, that's a beautiful thing for people to know. That's also still not the gospel. When we around about talk about the advantages of morally following the ways of Jesus and the world around us, that's not the gospel when we invite a person to church mem- or, or mention the, the, the Bible, forward a podcast, and if you do anything on social media, don't, call, don't consider any of that sharing the gospel. You know those things are bad. I honestly encourage you to do them over and over and over again. Just understand that we cannot mistake those things for actually sharing the gospel. And when we're wondering why we haven't seen the power of the gospel, it's because we're not actually maybe sharing it. The gospel always involves sin. Christ's personal work to save humanity from sin. The gospel always requires the need to be justified before a holy and righteous God. If you try and clean up that gospel, you lose it. It cannot be domesticated. You cannot sand away the offensive edges. The gospel at its core is a message about a bloody savior in an empty tomb. Why do we think that the notion, like Christians put tattoos of crosses and necklaces of crosses, and like, oh, the beauty of the cross. Do you understand that even saying the cross in ancient culture was offensive and disgusting because it is symbolized brutal, bloody death. The gospel is a message about the horrific nature of sin. That sin leads to death and we have a need to be pardoned from it. And the gospel is an exclusive message about the only way to be made right before God. One theologian loosely put it this way, we can abandon those gospel elements because they embarrass us or they are offensive or we can keep them and embrace the shame that it may bring our way. If we abandon the offensive elements of the gospel, what we have done, though, is we've pulled the fuse. The dynamic power, the dynamite power, if we take those elements out, we remove from inside of it all of the power for God to save and God to move. See, if we leave parts in there, and actually speak them to the world, God is faithful to do what he wants to through those words. He's faithful to save some. And some will actually be hardened. I want to put it this way. If the gospel is good news, and it definitely is, the only way a person can see how good the good news actually is, is by accurately seeing and beholding how bad the bad news is. It's only in that tension that we realize the beauty of Jesus. The tension between our utter lostness and hopelessness because of sin and the unspeakable kindness of salvation through faith and not works has to be kept intact or we lose the beauty and the power. The tension between a holy God who who has been mocked and ignored by humanity and an innocent Jesus who took the full cup of God's wrath so that you could be reconciled. Those elements have to be present, or we lose it. Why does the world need the gospel more than anything else? Well, because it's the only thing that can save anyone and everyone, and it's the only message that applies to literally everyone. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When you walk around the world around you, and you wonder, like, I don't know if this applies. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Paul says this message is for the Jew first, and then to the Greek, he's referencing how God chose Israel first in the Old Testament. And now all can be grafted in, both Jew and Gentile, to the promises of God through Jesus. It doesn't matter where you're from, what heritage you come from. When he talks about that Greek or barbarian, wise or foolish, whether you have means or no means, literally none of that matters. The explosive power of the gospel pertains to you and God can use it to save because all have sinned. It applies to all because all have need of it. The text says, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Inside the gospel message, we get to see the reality of a perfect and holy and altogether other different than us, God that God is righteous and holy. And then we also get to see what Martin Luther saw and transformed him years ago that God bestows to those who believe the righteousness of God on sinful people like us. Meaning when you put your faith in Jesus, when you decide to follow him, then you are given a righteousness that you didn't earn. It's not yours, but it gets credited. So as a sinner who has not been holy, God puts holiness and righteousness on you. You get a new name a new resume, a new identity. This is the essence of grace in the gospel. You get what you didn't deserve from the person who did it for you. You are made right. There's a holy, just God. And you stand clean before him now because of the free gift that he gave you and you didn't, you didn't buy it. To be a Christian is to be called righteous when you've actually been a sinner. Because God credits you, the resume of his son, through faith. And Here's the beauty. We can't dig into the full depth of this. And then you go get to live out in faith in that the rest of your life. See, this message is powerful because it restores our humanity. You've got nothing to strive for anymore. You're right before God and called clean. This message is powerful because it rebuilds broken identities in Jesus, no matter good or bad. Remember we talked about it last week, you get to be brave because whether you do amazing things in the world or you just make it through, you're okay with God. The message is powerful because it creates humble, hopeful, and passionate people who would follow their Savior to the end of the earth, even death if required. And causes of people who will declare the truth about Jesus in the world they live in. We'll discuss this in way more depth as the book keeps moving forward, but why don't we just consider this? Our evangelism may not be working, our mission may be stagnant or feel powerless, our gospel and missional communities may just feel like things aren't happening because we've been ashamed of the gospel and we're not actually sharing it with others and each other. we want to walk a really fine line, so hear me. Between not driving us towards shame this morning, but also not ignoring and hiding from the really, really specific words of Jesus to our hearts. May the Spirit help us hear these words rightly. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and does not confess me in the world, I will be ashamed of them and I will not confess them to my Father. It is possible that we have grown accustomed, even on accident, to living like we are ashamed and not really realizing it. Ashamed of believing, of declaring, of sharing the gospel. Ashamed of confessing the most beautiful thing in our lives to the world around us, Jesus. If that's the reality, here's, here's, here's what we need. To stop, confess it to the God who already knows it, and say, Lord, help me, please. And I've been ashamed, I need your help. I need your dynamic power again we tend to get really confused between guilt and shame. We've done some weird things with that. Guilt is not what we went to try and drive each other towards. Guilt is the natural feeling we get that is healthy when we realize that we've done wrong and we need to repent and change a healthy relationship with guilt teaches us to repent and be transformed. Today you may feel guilt, and I think I've been ashamed of the gospel. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've been declaring the gospel. Don't run from that. Repent and receive pardon. The news is still great for you. He wants you to repent. Don't let it press you into shame. See, shame, guilt says, hey, you did this wrong. Shame says you're worthless and beyond repair. We've already covered this. If you were in Christ last week, you were bought with a price. You are immensely valuable. The blood of Jesus was shed to save you. There should be no shame just the realization that you and I are works in progress. Sometimes we mess up and we need to go, God, help me to repent of that. And in that confession, maybe we ask to see the beauty of the gospel work some more. That God would change us, excite us. And in our confession that he would make us brave, send me out. Lord, I I think you're showing me I have such a strong fear of man. I confess that to you. Will you let me see you as greater so I'm not so scared around people? To begin to speak to our neighbors and friends and family and hear this, to begin to speak to each other again a pure gospel. The full gospel. Not as angry people yelling with fire and brimstone. Man, that's not what I'm trying to create. But as followers of Jesus who want to tell the full truth of Jesus to the world around them, even if the full truth is going to bring scorn at some times. Today, really the hope is simple, band, you guys can come back up. I do not want to walk us towards guilt and shame in a way that's destructive. I want us to see the power of God for the gospel to move and change. God is powerful. I want to see it clearly. We want to accept it. We want to move forward. And I pray that we're captured by it, by the reality that God has more to do in our hearts and in our community, in our world. He's got more to do in us. the beauty is the gospel keeps working in the middle of just a crazy world. We get to live in faith and the power of God doing more. I pray that we see that the world around us needs the light on the hill. They need the salt of the earth to see Jesus. We'll have to be convinced again of the power of the gospel in order to live that out and walk that out together. And I pray that the Spirit does that in you and me. We'll take communion today as we worship. First Corinthians Eleven, twenty-three through 26 says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. But the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In The same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread, and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we worship today. And I pray that you see the reality. There's a bloody savior in an empty tomb that is. As you take, you understand, no matter what's happened over the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months, if you've realized, man, I've been a little bit more ashamed than I'm than I'd like to admit, you'd come and take there's still a sacrifice. Jesus paid fully for all that you have done. Walk into that. Walk into the full message of the gospel, that you cover those things, that I'm clean because of you. If you've struggled with fear. Man, wrestle with God with that today. God help me. Help me not to be arrogant and rude in the world, but help me to be brave and secure in you. I pray that we worship in light of that, that God does his work and whatever he needs through that, and that we would see the power of salvation come near to our hearts and our church and our neighborhood. Would you stand and pray with me, God?